right, so we're back to From the Bleachers. We're going to do a little wrap-up of the football game and some other things you want to talk about. So this is episode two of season three, and Mick, we're back from the Dome, so we're in the middle of the week after the game this weekend. And what are your first thoughts about what happened at the Dome this weekend with the Adirondack football team? Well, outside of the game, it was a great community day. Started out with a parade here during the uh, as the team got ready to leave. The parade went through town, so that was really it was a really good community day. And then seeing a whole bunch of people out at the dome uh, to spectate the game was really great to see that community spirit. So you know, from that standpoint. It was a really good day. Obviously, not the desired outcome that we all would have liked to see, but uh, nonetheless, it was a it was a really good day overall. Yeah, my son's in the elementary school and was super excited when the team drove by. Guys were waving out the window. He knows a bunch of guys on the team, so he was really excited uh, for that event. About the game, Mick, what surprised me the most was how physical Dalsman was. Watching Adirondack all year long, they were able to easily out-physical people, and Dowsville was at their level. I would say Dowsville was more physical, but they were kind of at their level. And one thing I think I noticed that changed the game a lot was Adirondack was driving. They were down 8-0 when driving, and Charlie Strain got hurt there in the middle of the first quarter, late in the first quarter, and that kind of changed the complexion, I think, of the Adirondack offense because they were unable to get the ball moving the way they were when Charlie was in the game. Yeah, we talked about one of the concerns with this Wildcat team was a perceived you know, possibility of lack of depth. It doesn't really hurt you as much in Class D as it does in Class C, but it bit them at the worst possible time on Friday when Charles, you know, Charles did go down with that knee injury and wasn't able to come back. So, you know, having plug in uh, another player into that situation, and Charlie's a senior, so he's been around, played a lot of football. So plugging in, you know, a person that hasn't been used to playing there under those circumstances and the circumstances of that type of game is really difficult to do. But you can see along the offensive line that did have a – ripple effect when Charles went down, uh, you know, and it kind of started right with that with that drive, like the Cats weren't able to convert, I think, a third down and then a fourth down conversion. So right from the get-go, Cats were, you know, behind the eight ball a little bit with that injury. And then what also, maybe I don't know if it surprised me, but I wasn't expecting, is the amount of pressure Dallas was able to get all game. Sanford didn't really have a lot of time to be able to run the routes that they, they kind of wanted to run. So I think the pressure that Dowdsville brought, and I think Dowdsville decided and looked this way, one, they were going to try to take Colin White away, in which they did. And then two, they were able to get pressure on Sanford. And when Sanford didn't have time, the, uh, the passing game was kind of out the window. And that just really hampered the Adirondack offense all the way through. I mean, I think they had 150 yards total for the game, but a couple of those were big plays at the end of the half where they had a screen pass, then a hook and ladder to Hennessy, and then they got the big pass to Creed Rogers to score. But I, the Adirondack offense didn't look the same as it did all year long. Yeah, I talked to offensive coordinator Steve Bell, and he talked about that as far as it was hard to get into a rhythm. And even when they didn't get to Brett on – on a few occasions and they brought pressure it just it kind of changed the timing of everything and you could see that during the course of the game there were some times when Dodgeville didn't get great pressure 
Bob Brunt may have rushed to the he rushed the throw thinking that he was going to get pressure. So it just it changed the whole play calling. It changed all the rhythm and tempo that you're looking to get in play calling. I've never called football plays, Nick, so I'm foreign to that. But you know, when talking to Coach Bella uh, on Monday, you know, he kind of alluded to that, and I can I can see where that would be an issue. But yeah, kind of you know they definitely had a plan that they wanted to bring bring pressure at Brett, and it seemed as if the sacks that Brett took, we lost a lot of yardage. We lost 10 to 15 yards, so a third and five, you know, turned into like a fourth and 20 or a second and eight, all of a sudden turned into a third and 17. Uh, so our third and fourth downs weren't really very manageable during the course of the whole game. And then Dobbs will just really control the ball. They used Bolinski and then Gagne. And anytime they needed yards, like we said during the game, they'd run that little option look for Gagne, and he was able to pick up yardage every time they needed um, a third down and two. But they had a lot of third and shorts. And you said it was a very uh, obvious. They won third and fourth down all game long. And the game is still only 20-8. to eight. It wasn't like Adirondack was blown out. I think play that game 10 times. You get to make some adjustments. I know I got to talk to the offensive coordinator, Coach Ballet, as well, and he said maybe a couple wrinkles, different wrinkles he could throw at him if he had a, another shot at him again. But it's, I think, a game that was a winnable game. You need strain, though. And, and Weaver was out for a while as well, and that's just devastating when you lose two of your you know, starting offensive linemen during the game. So I think, you know, give it another chance. Now, that is a definitely a winnable game. It's not like they were off the radar and they didn't have a chance to win. Now, there have been games we've all been in where you, you left the game going, we can't beat those guys, but I don't think they left um, thinking that. Dowsville played better that day, and they deserved the win. It wasn't anything fluky where they won, but I think it's a really manageable game for um, Adirondack. And now Dowsville has to go face Tioga this Friday, and who was a Section 4 winner in the there's an expectation that they're going to have trouble uh, winning that game. Yeah, and just kind of going back to the game a little bit too, Nick. Dowdswell got their two first scores within the first within the first 13 minutes. So Dowdswell scored on their first possession after Adirondack lost the ball on downs. So they scored in the first five minutes, and then they scored a minute into the second quarter. And then after that, it seemed that the cat defense got its footing a little bit kind of recognized what Dowsville was trying to do, and they were able to kind of shore it up defensively a little bit. I know Dowsville had a couple drives where they fumbled. They may have been on the verge of going in. Uh, they fumbled around the 30-yard line. But you're right. I mean, that game, two t- it was a two-score game, you know, going into the half. Cats played the last 11 minutes on defense in the second quarter uh, pretty decently, and it's, you know, it's a shame that you couldn't get anything going on offense uh, to kind of – get that back to a one-score game. I think Dallasville was able to play pretty comfortably having that two-score lead rather than a one-score lead. It may have been a little bit different. Your play calls may have been a little bit different. You know, the confidence that you're playing with may have been a little bit different on the Dallasville side of the ball and on both sides of the ball, actually, on the Adirondack offensive side if it would have been a one-score game. So, you know, it was really the first 13 minutes Dallasville did their damage, and, I, and it kind of set the tone, you know, just from probably a confidence standpoint for the cats, that they were, it was a little bit of an uphill road to climb. But you know, it's certainly if they play ten times, and you, you know, you can kind of prepare 
you know, that you probably you're probably talking to me in six four, five, five, seven, three in that range. You know, either way possibly, you know, depending on adjustments. But you know, one shot deal, it's a shame, like I said, that he came out and played that first thirteen minutes and kind of really struggled during that time period, got two scores down. And then from the middle of the second quarter to the middle of third, our defense was on the field a really long time. Now both teams play a lot of guys both ways. It's hard to say who was tired and who was not, but it's it's both teams really, um, you know, going uh, both ways. So the Adirondack defense was on the field a lot, you know, during the middle of the second quarter and into the third quarter. That kind of wraps up the football season, but you got a chance. So the next day you drove down to Binghamton, and some of our local girls especially had a superb weekend. So Mickey's uh, son Ty runs cross-country down at – Temple Division One runner Ty was one of the top runners in the state when he was when he was running and so Mickey you really got into the cross country scene you got to know a lot of coaches you got familiar with Coach Bernard in South Lewis and Coach Jennings here so you went down to Binghamton you watched the state race so the state cross country race was Saturday I think it was at Shenango Valley State Park down right outside just north of Binghamton if you go down uh, Route 88 and. So what did you see down there? So I know Adirondack had a couple girls, and South Lewis had a couple successful girls as well. Yeah, so state cross country, what they usually do is they actually have a rotation of state sites. So uh, Shenango uh, State Valley Park down there, they actually, I believe they had it five or six years ago, So, but it's usually on a rotation. So when Ty ran and, and got to the states a few times, we never saw Shenango State the park itself. So it was the first time that my wife had actually been down there. So yes, yeah, so in the class D race, uh, Coach Jennings had eighth grader Cora Hinsdale. She ran along with Kaylee Mathis. And they finished 22nd and 23rd respectively, which was a really good race for them. They kind of, over the course of the last three or four weeks, Cora and both Kaylee came along really well. So the state finish, uh, 22nd and 23rd was excellent. Unfortunately, to reach the podium in a cross-country state race, you have to be top 20. So I kind of felt for them as they crossed the finish line because they were, you know, they were close to getting to that 20th place and getting on the podium. So that's usually the goal, you know, if you get to a state race, really, you know, maybe that first time if you're an underclassman, try to get on to the podium, you know, and then kind of build from there. So uh, I'm, they weren't able to do that. And to be honest with you, 20th place, I think, uh, I think the 20th place finisher finished maybe 35 or 40 seconds ahead of them. So you're talking probably 200 yards. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you, you know, 20, 30 seconds, you're talking 150, 200 yards. Uh, but it was definitely a really good build year for uh, Cora and Kaylee looking at next year. I was, I get into it quite a bit. So I was kind of looking at the times uh, from uh, last the times for this year, uh, the Cats should be up in Class C again next year running. That's kind of like the football fall that we've talked about. Uh, so just kind of look at comparative times, who's coming back, who's leaving senior year. Cora and Kaylee have an excellent chance to get back to the state race with a goal of getting on the podium. So, you know, Coach Jennings did a really great job this year getting two girls to the states, uh, kind of keeping that run going. We've had runners go for the – uh, five of the last six years. Uh, so that's a really good from, run for Coach Jennings. And, and I talked to Cora Hinsdale today. She said, I asked her how many eighth graders finished ahead of her. 
she said she was definitely in the top five. Yes. There may have been only one or two eighth graders ahead of her. So that just shows you in your class. Now across the country, it's a little bit different because your age doesn't mean as much. And an eighth grader can run just like a senior. Right, camp. right, it just right. tells you that you're in the ballpark of where you want to be in your own class. Yeah. And it's not a stretch of, an, of anyone's imagination for them to qualify again and go back to the C state, you know, and be the C race next year and then get on the podium. As, as I said, looking at times, there would be very favorable of doing that. So kind of get that first state race out of the way. And, you know, it's, it's really nerve wracking that first time getting in that sort of race on that stage. So I was, they, they finished great. I was, I was so impressed with them the last couple of weeks. And then uh, Coach Bernard, who is an Adirondack grad, and everybody on, the, on our pod probably knows that, uh, his daughter Brand came in first place, and daughter Lexi finished second. So Brand and Lexi go one, two. Uh, South Lewis actually captured the state crown as well, which they were actually favored going in. They did definitely have the target on them. I talked to Coach Bernard before the race Saturday morning, and he was really nervous as far as having the the bullseye on his back. He likes he you know he kind of likes being the uh, the underdog a little bit, but they did have the bullseye. But they did come through, and Brendan Lexi ran a really great race. Lexi came in first at the sectional race, and then Brent won the state race. So really happy for them. Uh, my son Ty ran with Brendan and Lexi all the years that he was in high school. So he's really tight with Brent and Lexi, so it was really great to see them do well. Uh, and then Colin Stafford, who runs for Coach Bernard as well, finished third in the D race, in the boys' D race. He's only a sophomore. Uh, Colton Kemp, a Beaver River kid, won the D race. I was really happy for Colton. Uh, Colton lost uh, his freshman and sophomore year. He came in second in the state race. Uh, and then obviously the COVID situation last year preempted the state race. So I'm really happy that Colton won. Um, him and Ty had a really good rivalry when Ty was in school. And Colton's had a lot of injuries the last two and a half years. Uh, he's dealt with plantar fasciitis and he had a hip problem as well. So I was really happy for Colton, you know, and now Colin's next in line, you know, for the Frontier League and, you know, Colin definitely going to be in the mix to win a state title his junior or senior year. So, you know, it's just, it was really nice to see. I love going to the state race. I love cross country. I really love it. I'm really taking on to the sport. And it's really great to see like our local schools do really, really well. Beaver River, Adirondack, in South Lewis. So I did people that aren't really close to the cross country scene uh, really have don't have an understanding of how good our teams are around here. So that's really impressive. And if you call Dowsville the Yankees of football, then Beaver River is definitely the Yankees of cross country as they just dominate the cross country race over and over. Again. Yeah, they did not win the state title this year. They're not it haven't not as deep as they have been. But you could also say Jack's program you know, I think they've won two in the last five years, and that's been really impressive. Uh, you know, so Jack's program is, you know, a really, really well-respected program around the state. It's a state power in Class D, the girls' program. So with Brent coming back, you know, he's got a little bit of depth there. So, uh, you know, so the future's still pretty bright for you know, the South Lewis cross-country team as well. And we're not talking sectional champions. We're talking we're state, state titles. Yeah. And so you're, that's the... Two state, state titles. Yeah, in the five best years. of the best. And so speaking of state titles, uh, we have a teacher at our school, Jim Cole, who's a special ed teacher in middle school. His daughter 
is in 11th grade this year, and she was on the state champion New Hartford soccer team, who I think has didn't lose all season, has won close to 40 games in a row, and they had a, a nail-biter. I was kind of following along on social media looking at their games. They were down in Tompkins County Community College in Cortland over the weekend. So New Hartford gets a state title and uh, girls soccer. Yeah, undefeated, and Jim's a good friend of ours, and we talked to him quite a bit. And they've been they've been all over playing that youth the youth teams that his daughters played on they've been all over the place I think they've gone to Colorado so they definitely earned that state title they've done a lot of traveling in the off season they've played a lot in the off season Jim tells us about all the places that he's gone to watch his daughter play so yeah undefeated season and yeah with the COVID shortened season they've racked up like forty in a row now I mean there was no state tournament in spring too. But they're up around 35, 40-ish in a row. And he, I talked to him today. He said they, they're starting practice for their travel team today. So it never ends if you're at that level. That's the kind of way you want to do it. And so one thing we saw this weekend is I don't know, kind of interesting note that we saw. In the Class D soccer, there's a team down from Poughkeepsie called Mount Academy who shockingly won both boys' and girls' state titles in soccer. And that rarely happens. And we looked up this school a little bit, and this school is playing Class D soccer. So they, they what I when I looked at it, they beat the Poland girls. And the Poland girls, you know, Poland graduates 40 kids maybe, maybe 50 kids. And we know they beat our buddies from Oppenheim St. Johnsville on the way through this tournament. So we, kept, we had them on the radar. So this team is... A private school from down outside Poughkeepsie, where they charge ten thousand dollars to get into the school. Now, if you want to run a school and you run it that way, that's okay. And I don't, I don't even feel that these kids should have an opportunity to play in the state tournament. I think they should, but to have a team that has an exclusive choice of who they have like that play in the class D's, to me, seems a little bit unfair. The reason there are classes. It's so Poland's not playing CBA or playing Liverpool. They're trying to keep things at an even level. Poland High School playing against a team outside New York City who's charging $10,000 for kids to come play and can pick and choose who they want to come there. Just seems kind of unfair for Poland to compete against. If those teams want to play, go ahead and go play the Class A's, play the Class AA's, go on the level you know, of competition you're supposed to be on. And it seems a little unfair that a school won both D's and boys and girls soccer. And I just, that always kind of bothers me with the, with the private schools playing in the public schools. I understand they're going to be in there, but at some point you have to play at your own level. Yeah, and usually what happens, and we've been complaining about this forever, it seems, usually a lot, in a, in a lot of cases, I'm not going to say in all cases, but... In a lot of cases, private schools that play in C and D tournaments are usually, you know, superior to C and D to the C and D talent of the teams that are playing in a particular bracket. So that's like that would be my biggest beef as well, Nick. We, you know, a lot of times, you know, you get a private school down in a Class D tournament, and you know, it's just kind of disappointing because that's why classes are set up that way. CBA a number of years ago kind of made their way through the football classes. They were down in C early in uh, Coach Benny Quattro's tenure at Adirondack, kind of worked themselves up to B. Uh, and then finally, they just went up and played double A, which I, I have no qualms about private school going up and playing double A. 
I don't really care where they get their kids from. If they get their kids from all over Syracuse, you know, get your kids all over Syracuse, they're going to play in double-A. But, you know, this kind of scenes with Mount Academy, and actually the Class D, or the Section 2 guys, you know, Coach Brundage and uh, our connections down there, the Oppenheim-St. Johnsville boys actually lost to Mount Academy in the Section 2 final. Oppenheim-St. Johnsville led them. Most of the, of the contest lost on penalty kicks. You know, they were actually just kind of talking about them playing in the Class D tournament. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's, you know, I'd hate to be a Class D school and kind of, you know how it goes, Nick. Sometimes in a Class D school, you don't get one of these sectional type of teams maybe for 5, 10, 15 years, and you happen to get one of those teams that comes along maybe once in a lifetime, once in a generation, and you're squaring off against a private school that probably should be playing A or double A, you know, that's that's kind of disappointing. It's kind of demoralizing for a lot of class D schools to have that happen. I think St. Johnsville Oppenheim, I think they were kind of like a little bit of an underdog, you know, they get to the final and then, you know, that team's kind of waiting for you in, in the final. Uh, you know, uh, Coach Fiorenza had that happen with Ludden. We talked about that last week on the pod. They ran into Ludden like three straight years and Ludden may have like class A talent and they're down playing in C, even though Coach Fiorenza's team played them really, really tough. But, you know, that's kind of, you know, that's the biggest qualm with a private school that I would have as well. And what seems most unfair is if a private school, say they're playing class B, whatever sport they are, and then for two years they struggle, they're able to move down to class C or class D. And then, you know, section three has rules if you reach a certain level, then you get moved up and you get moved up. But Adirondack's been struggling for football for how many years? The, the only reason we removed Class D this year is because of our enrollment. If Adirondack struggled, so you say you have, think of a program who is struggling for 100 years, and you can't just, hey, we're going to go play Class D football because we're struggling. Like Westmoreland this year, they're Class C, and they knew it was going to be a tough road, and they opted out of the playoffs. They didn't say, "Hey, we can go to Class D and play." They did. They couldn't play in the. They couldn't play in the playoffs. So Westmont had a pretty good team, and they just they didn't participate in the playoffs. And it just seems, if you're a private school, you struggle. You get to move down. If you're a public school and struggle, you stay struggling. And I understand that private schools have to be in the tournament. My solution would be that they get their own tournament. That you have. Maybe two classes of private schools. You have the big school private schools and the small schools, and they can play it out, and they can go get you know the players they want to get, and they can have their championship. It just seems, you know, you're you're not comparing apples and apples when you have a private school around the city in Syracuse, all the opportunities they have, and you get to go play a tiny little class D school. I remember talking to Coach Porter in basketball, and he always told me he's lost every bishop. You know, known to man in Section 3, it just seems that there's got to be a better way to do it, but there hasn't been a solution. I don't know if anybody's willing to put that solution on the table. Yeah, Poland girls, I think they their winning streak was up to like 75-ish, and they had that snapped by Mount Academy in, that, in, the, in the Class D final over the weekend. So, you know, I – yeah, it's – you know, it's always been a touchy situation, and – it's not going to go away, Nick, because nobody really is going to kind of make it go away. Everybody kind of, kind of shrugs it off. And I think uh, just from my what I gathered, gathered with some of the conversations between some of the Section Two people that we know, uh, I think some of the bigger schools didn't want Mount Academy playing up 
you know, in the classes. So whatever system they use in section two, you know, they, Mount Academy, they, they ended up in class D because maybe some of the bigger schools didn't want them up in class, like in, in the B's, in the A's or B's or, or whatever. I kind of gathered that from, you know, the conversations that we had with some of those guys down there. So, you know, for, yeah, it is what it is. I mean, they ended up in D, they ended up winning, you know, the state title on the boys and girls side. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to get that every once in a while. I felt bad a couple of years ago because, um, you know, not to belabor the point, but I think the Brookfield girls, like in the last two or three years, have had really, really good teams. And they ran into Watertown IHC, who's all of a sudden they're playing D girls basketball. It's, you know, I, I remember when you you were winning sectional titles maybe in C or B, and now you're in D. Brookfield gets one of their best teams in maybe 15 or 20 years, and you're kind of running into, you know, a private school, which is, you know, like I said, it's kind of it's demoralizing for a team. It's demoralizing for a community in that sense. And then that leads us right into winter sports, which started this week. So, you know, all our locals will be doing wrestling or girls basketball or volleyball or boys basketball, and all those are starting now. And games are going to be coming, like, quick. Like for Adirondack boys, they have a scrimmage this Saturday, and they play in two weeks. And I know for for all these teams, it's like the season started later, so usually the season started a week ago. So the season season started not after Veterans Day, but still, teams are playing, and you're playing league games the first week of December. It gives you no time to to get ready. I always thought I always thought you start practice December first, and you start games. You know, have Christmas tournaments to open up your season, but again, the state tournament dictates that, and we kind of have to balance everything by the state tournament. But winter season's right around here, and so all those athletes, like for Adirondack football, who are playing a football game Saturday, they're out banging around on the basketball court two days later, and really no break for for those kids, which is a good thing because that means you've been successful. But all our athletes are back at it here this week, um, getting ready for winter sports. Yeah, I know Coach Marr would, back in the day, he'd go nuts if he had to play. If he played a game Thanksgiving break, he'd go, he would go nuts. Usually, back in the day, you'd start, you know, practice would be maybe around, like, November 10th. You wouldn't even think about playing until, like, December 6th, December yeah. 7th. So, some teams are trying to get, you know, they're trying to play before Thanksgiving. The funny thing is, schedule makers, they want to play, you know, two games Thanksgiving, and then all of a sudden, in the second week in January, we have a week off, which is kind of puzzling so but yeah the new age coaches they love playing before thanksgiving i nobody really ever argues but i know coach mar if you're listening somewhere yeah would have driven you nuts like coach mar wouldn't like to play like december 21st or something it was one day before christmas and then play after play after uh christmas time so i was section two so we started like november 1st it was unheard of to have a thanksgiving turn we'd start first and second week of december and as a player, you hated it though because you practice like. Remember, Coach Murray, feel like you practice like thirty-seven yeah. days, and you're not, you haven't played a game yet. And then, you know, you go play, you get a scrimmage, maybe you get a scrimmage Thanksgiving, and then you get that first scrimmage, and then, you know, like Coach Mar, an old school guy, they're blowing the whistle eight hundred times, yeah. and you're not really <laughs> playing. It's like practice anyway. So yeah, so you walk into practice like November sixth, and then you're playing like December tenth. It's like, oh my goodness, forty days killing me when i was coaching it would always be a saturday of thanksgiving would be like our first i try to get scrimmage there yeah, or the wednesday before yeah the one before maybe one after then you you roll into games but now with college basketball playing so many preseason tournaments there's the preseason nit there's 
Syracuse is going off to the Bahamas. There's a one in Hawaii. There's one in Alaska. So as more and more preseason tournaments have gone, as a kid, you probably just you don't want to practice anyway. No, you just no, want to play. No, want to play. But for me, uh, just to start practice on Monday and have a scrimmage Saturday is it would just yeah, like I would be uh, I would be a nervous wreck. I get nervous just thinking about all the stuff you gotta think about trying to do and press breakers and inbounds plays. But a lot of schools they're working all year long. They have a lot of that stuff set. So if you're like a new coach coming in and you got hey welcome you got a game in ten days. It's that's got to be a nightmare, but that's that's kind of where we are with 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 the winter season now, and then with wrestling, I, I'm not sure when their first matches are, but you know they go every. I think they're in months. I think they do, go and they go every Saturday for like yeah. twelve weeks. So those guys are crazy over there anyway. Yeah, they can't get started too early because the back end's crazy. Yeah, because they every Saturday, no matter what, if you're. If you have a team, your sectionals into states, you're into the end of February every year. So Adirondack, you know, looking probably have some guys who can make the states this year. And I think the uh, the wild card is a little bit different this year. The wild card setup is a little bit different. But Adirondack has a couple kids that are hoping to get the state. So Coach Galligan's always hanging out in the gym in February to late February to get his guys rolling through um, wrestling. So. That's the kind of a wrap up for our fall season. Mickey's son Andy, who's a big digital media specialist, says we got to keep this at about a half an hour. So we're approaching the half hour mark. So we don't want to keep we want to bore anybody. But Thanksgiving time, SU's down in the Bahamas. If if I had a different job and a lot more money, I'd be in the Bahamas watching SU play. But you know we're big SU basketball fans. So I just want to mention Mick played two games and looked pretty good. Off to Bahamas, and then they have an awesome, off, awesome schedule. They get to play Villanova in New York City. They got Indiana coming into the dome. They get to play Georgetown. So, if you're a basketball fan of upstate New York, this is kind of the year where you're going to see Syracuse play a loaded schedule. So, those people complain Bayham doesn't play anybody. There are no complaints this year. Yeah, and just to kind of preview, they play. Colgate on this Saturday, and then they play Wednesday, Thursday, Friday during break. So Wednesday at 5 p.m., they went in, it's uh, Thanksgiving Day, 5 p.m. Uh, so just kind of check your listings, but they'll be on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it's perfect during break. Just really looking forward to that. Nice uh, little break from football, too, on the holidays, a little basketball. And this team's more fun than past. You're hoping to get to 60 points. You know, those damn games where you're going to walk it up and grind it out. It's going to be 58-54. This team shoots the ball, and they want to score. And I, Coach Beheim, he's pretty honest in his um, what he says about his team. The other day, he said, we can score. He just He's worried about if they can stop other people from scoring. They're shooting over 50% from three. Gerard hasn't missed a three yet. And I think this team's going to put up numbers. Can they stop people will be the question. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of little people are really happy about Gerard getting off to a good no. start too as well. We won't we'll just say he's a Syracuse guy now. That those that's that's a long time ago as when when those games are going on. He he's eight for eight from three right now. And if they're gonna be if they're gonna do well and you wanna make a run in NCAA tournament, he's gonna be a guy you're gonna have to root for. So SU fans are gonna have to get their number eleven jerseys on. As uh we're going to wrap up this one. Hopefully we can do a bunch of podcasts over the wintertime. Mickey's off doing girls' JV basketball, so his time will be spent in the gym a lot with Coach Youngs, getting 
his program to continue going well. He's won three league titles in a row, right, Coach? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, last year we don't count that year because there was really nothing going on. So Coach Youngs and Coach Lewis down in the new division. So a lot of interesting stuff for the winter as we're looking forward to. So that's going to wrap it up for season three, episode two. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks here on From the Bleachers. <laughs>